Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. And while you're there, you'll be able to learn more about this new Blister event called the Blister Summit, which we are kicking off in two weeks. So for any of you mountain bikers who happen to also be into skiing, head over to blisterreview.com to learn more about our brand new Blister Summit, which is taking place right here in our home base of Mount Crested Butte, Colorado. Okay, our guest today is Sam Megan of Privateer Bikes, and our Blister Bike editor, David Golay, joins me to talk to Sam about all things Privateer, which is a company that has been carving out a very interesting space for itself, and also pushing forward certain aspects of bike design that have been growing in acceptance in the industry and in rider popularity. And also, as we like to do around here, we ask Sam at the end of our conversation if he happens to have a big idea, and Sam came up with a pretty great one. So, you know, come to learn more about the origins and the trajectory of Privateer, but then stick around to catch Sam's thoughts on how to energize and just kind of revolutionize a whole new category. And so with that, let's go ahead and get to my conversation with Sam Megan and David Golay. Here we go. Well, Sam, how are you today and where are you today? I'm good, thanks. Um, so I'm based in Falcon in West Sussex, which is on the south coast of England in my home office because we're working from home. Working from home. We've heard that a bit in the past year. Just a little bit, yeah. It's been a it's been a weird experience for sure. Um, we've kind of split across now between everyone working at home, a few people in the office. But yeah, even that's kind of scattered around. We're not all local to the office anymore, so it's not even yeah. We've got, and we've got the guys in, in our US office as well, so we've got time zones as well as locations and all sorts. So it's it makes life a bit more difficult. And we can't even meet up to be riding at the moment either due to uh, like lockdown rules. So we can't even really meet in person unless we're in the office, which. Makes life difficult, but we're getting around it. We've it's been still very productive. We just do a lot more video calls than I've ever done in my life. Yeah. Can you say a word, by the way? We've been on some of our different podcasts having people just talk a bit about, you know, what is the current situation like, say, in Alaska or in Germany or Austria, etc. Talk a little bit about the UK and what the status of the the lockdown situation is. Um, so all, at the moment, we're all in like a national lockdown. So like England, Wales, and Scotland has different rules as well, but generally we're all in a in a national lockdown. So we're not supposed to go out unless it's for work or food or essentials and stuff like that. We can still go out riding or do exercise, but we're supposed to limit it to sort of once a day and say relatively local. So you can't argue that you've driven three hours to ride your bike. You have to ride relatively local. You can still drive. To a bit but it's got to be yeah, pretty close so yeah it's it's doable it's not fun but it's you can still get out and can still kind of get by it's just you can't meet in groups either so you can only meet one person to go out for a walk or a quick ride but that's about it so yeah it's tough because you want to go out and you know, do group rides we haven't done any of that for a while now as a as a staff or as friends so it's uh 
that's pretty yeah it's pretty challenging and it's hard to kind of keep it keep it positive sometimes admittedly like when you're kind of everyone's stuck in their own little uh little offices or in the rooms and can't really go out and see people but overall it's been okay like people are by and large sticking to the rules but you know there's always a few outliers that tend to to try and do their own thing and got the vaccines rolling out so who knows hopefully summer will look a little bit more normal we'll see how it goes i guess yeah well, we're here to talk about, you know, all things privateer bikes. And so maybe just to get us started, tell us a little bit about your own background, how long you've been with privateer and what is your own background with mountain biking? Oh, yeah. So I've been with the Rider Firm, which is our like more like our overall company for about two and a bit years now. And before that, I worked for a pretty big distributor. Um, and I worked, I was actually based in Whistler for a couple of years doing their tech, was like a tech marketing rep, making sure the demo fleet that they were, they said they would sponsor the mountain. I was making sure that the bike stayed good. If they don't have any problems, I was effectively the guy to go to. So I was looking after guides and staff and just doing some activations in the village and stuff like that. So it was a really cool job. That was a really good opportunity that came kind of right time, right place, because I used to work for the UK office and I decided to go to Canada and managed to go to land for, I think anyone would consider a dream job. So I'm very grateful to have that opportunity because thankfully get to ride bikes all summer and you know, ride and work at the same time. So yeah, and being based in Whistler obviously is, yeah, it's pretty extraordinary. So it's, it was good. It was a job that when it was going well, it was great. And then when it went wrong, it got very scary because you got a lot of people that are trying to get hold of you. But uh, yeah, before that, worked in shops, you know, bit of mechanicing for the sales. I did inside sales at that distributor in the UK. So done a bit of everything really. And then yeah, came back from Canada looking to find a new home effectively and found me with the rider firm. And that's yeah, I've been there now for yeah, two and three years, which is it's flown by. And then yes, yeah, so with Privateer, I, I'm effectively the uh, mountain bike brand manager for both Hunt Wheels and Privateer bikes. So just really looking after both in terms of outlining the brands and kind of making sure we stay consistent in both product and communications, whether that's like PR and our press releases or it's our social media or, you know, kind of like say even our product ourselves when we're specking complete builds or wheels or whatever it is, it's just making sure that we stay true to like what we were trying to achieve with that brand in the first place. So we don't veer off the path anywhere. So it's uh, many fingers in many pies so to speak um, but it's it's good it's exciting it's uh it keeps me busy yeah sam that's that's a good bit on your background there so i guess next thing would be just we'd be curious to hear a bit more about privateer as a company and how it got started we'll get into the bikes in a little bit but let's just start with the brand itself yeah so i guess we can't really explain privateer without explaining who the rider firm is which would say is the kind of overall company of all the brands that we look after that we started so the rider firm was set up by two brothers about five or six years ago now and really just started kind of seeing where there was gaps in the market and just really trying to serve riders in a different way so initially it started with uh, tom and pete who the brothers decided they were looking for a tubeless disc alloy wheel for like gravel bikes and stuff like that and really at the time there wasn't a huge market for it and it wasn't really an offering and they're usually quite expensive from these bigger brands that were carbon or quite narrow or some combination of all of that and so they really just decided so they put their kind of different skills together so tom's been in the industry for a while and so pete is a material scientist so between them they've got a good like background of both the industry but also just yeah understanding how 
alloys and metals and carbons and that kind of works. And between them, they kind of start to put together a wheel brand. And so they started off making alloy uh, gravel wheels, which are like, say, a bit wider, they're disc, they're tubeless ready, which is another thing that at the time, like the road market just wasn't really kind of going for. It was still quite a new concept, but mountain bikers had embraced it a while back, but on the road, it was still, still not really there. And so that's how Hunt Bike always started. And that was kind of the driving force of brands that really pushed the rider firm. And that was going yeah, from there. And that's gone from strength to strength over the last sort of five years. And that makes road wheels, disc, uh, like, sorry, road wheels, mountain bike wheels, uh, like tri wheels, cyclocross wheels, like any wheel you can think of. Hunt makes it. And then really from that, it kind of started that philosophy of like, how can we serve riders? Like, is there a product that we could do different or better or, you know, however it was, we just wanted to make it that was the rider looking for. And so that started Ken, which is our e-bike brand. So we've got uh, e-adventure brand for uh, gravel bikes. And that's kind of finding its feet as well at the moment. So we've got one model there. And then we've got Descent 133, which is a like adverse weather glove brand at the moment. So it's like a layered glove system. And then obviously we now have private bikes. So really all of those brands, it, it either starts from conversations in the office or from just riders out there when we're listening to people going like, I really wish we had this. Or like, why haven't someone else done that? And it's often, it is that discussion of like, well, why couldn't we do that? And so like Privateer started from that really when Tom has been following mountain bike geometry for a while. I was a really big fan of how things were going. They were getting longer and slacker and like seat tubes were getting steeper. But really, it was still only found on quite niche brands were quite expensive. They were you know, usually handmade somewhere. And it's great, but it didn't allow your more average rider, your, your, your privateers, your, your, your weekend warriors if you want, but it was more your, just your average rider wanted that. They wanted to take that geometry and apply it to more people. And really, so that's how it started. We kind of started looking like, well, could we offer this like pretty radical geometry to a more wider audience? And you could say that kind of idea snowballed into, into a bike brand. And it, it was really cool to see. So it was a, yeah, it went from there really. It was just kind of a, could we do this? And then like, how could we do this? And now we were doing it. So I guess from there, we, we approached, so we worked with Ali Beckett, who works, um, he's Redburn Designs. So he's uh, an independent designer. So he worked with a few other brands. And we started to basically take our ideas to him and build a bike brand together. And I think that gets a little bit about what I was going to ask next is that there are kind of a lot of bike companies out there that have a huge spectrum of stuff that they offer and cover everything from cross-country race bikes through downhill bikes and whatnot and often into road and gravel stuff as well. And then you have got others that have a more narrowly targeted audience and kind of carved out a specific niche for themselves. And privateer, frankly, sort of seems like the, the latter case. And so the name privateer is a bit of a clue there probably. But be curious to hear you talk about sort of your target customer for the privateer brand and how you think about designing a bike for that specific market yeah so i guess that is always we always wanted to keep it fairly specific and it's not to say we went broad on that but it's it is always about keeping a rider focus and the privateer as a name definitely summed it up and because actually the naming process actually took ages and in the end it, that name had floated around for a while it was like, like who are we about what are we trying to serve and it's like the term privateer kept coming up and up because that was who we were trying to serve and it's like well that just makes sense like the name fitted it really well 
and it is but that was the rider we wanted to serve from the beginning it was you know the riders that are going out week in week out racing bikes they might be out all summer traveling going to events they're generally paying their own way they haven't got a big sponsor to back them up and they need a bike that can that can handle a full ews season or you know whether it's nationals or where it is the world like series so it's that was how we wanted to look at it and like say we wanted to apply that geometry that that was quite radical quite progressive and give a platform for riders to do that so yeah really wanting to design a, a big enduro bike and target it at racers that want that and it's they want a bike that is progressive they want it to be able to handle everything that they can throw at it they want it to last all season they don't want it to have any weird and wonderful proprietary bits which you know often are, are really cool but it you know if you're out in the field and something goes wrong then it becomes an issue and it's and also something that doesn't break the bank you know, these are the races that are paying their way so having a bike that costs as much as all their flights for the year you know, it just largely isn't doable so it's that's what we wanted to do yeah privateer really summed it up and it was you know someone like a race like matt startard who we now have worked with for a couple of years like he was at like it was almost you put him on a, on a wall and go that's that's who we want but that's who we're trying to like we're building a bike for this person and that's really kind of how everything led and like that's as i mentioned before about like the brand side of it, it was like really every decision we made went back to like is this what like matt would want is this what a racer like matt would need is this the right choice for them and it's and something that we've always done for all the brands is it's the question of you know we're spending the riders money you know, whatever we invest that's come from a rider somewhere like they're buying our product they're putting their trust in us to to make the right decisions so you know it's down to things like when we're looking at tubing or the geometry or how we produce it or like how we pack it or you know, every little bit that goes into it, it's like well how can we make sure we're making the most effective use of that the rider's money here and not just wasting it on some fairly either whether it's cosmetic or it's just not needed so it's you know things like the tube set for example like some of that is open mold like it's catalog tubing which often carries a bit of a stigma that it's oh yeah you just picked out the catalog like, yeah but this has been designed by somebody at some point to serve a purpose and we can make it work for our bike we could design our own tube but it's going to do the same job it might just look a little bit different so it's it's that kind of decisions like well why would we pay more for a part that will effectively do the same thing and that's like that's those decisions and you keep making those over and over and eventually you kind of end up with the bike that we did and you know that's what we keep doing where it's yeah every decision we make is that comes back to that core point of is this what the privateer would want and is this how they'd want us to spend their money yeah i like that a lot it's just a clear vision of who you're making something for and in a lot of cases that's just a good way to make a much better product that's maybe not necessarily going to work for literally everyone, but for the right people, it's going to be focused and targeted and really well thought out. That makes a ton of sense. So with that, I guess let's get into the lineup a little bit. The first bike you guys launched was the 161, which as you kind of mentioned in that last answer, you were working quite a bit with uh, Matt Studdard, who's racing on the EWS circuit on that bike. And just be curious to hear a little more about how you started working with Matt and kind of to go in hand in hand with that was the idea to make a really enduro race bike first and foremost from the beginning, or was it more like you had this idea of bringing relatively progressive geometry to a lower price point, And then it got a bit more race bike focused specifically once Matt came on board. It's a bit of both in some ways. Like it was kind of perfect timing, like the idea of privateer, 
was about before we worked on that only just like it was very early days it was still kind of just you know ideas on paper we'd been joined around a few ideas we'd already been working valley for a little while by that point to kind of get a rough idea of what we were trying to achieve and then so matt started end up uh wasn't we was current sponsor that came to an end and it opened up this opportunity for us to work with an ews level racer and it was kind of right time right place for us I'm like oh great like as a company now, we're big enough to be able to support some of Matt well enough to help him on his way. And he can help us develop this bike to make it perfect for him. Like it was that it's almost like too good to be true. We're like, oh, we want to build an EWS bike. And um, you know, we're not EWS racers, like we might like to think we're quite quick and you know, everyone has you know, your mates race in the woods, but Matt is the real deal. Like he is the racer that's gonna take this onto the world stage. And from the get-go, he was excited by it. Like we mentioned it to him from the from the beginning. Originally, the sponsorship was just for Hunt. We were going to help him on wheels and help him you know, with that, but with the mindset that he can help us with the frame, and he was more than happy to do that. So for the first season, he didn't actually race on the privateer, but behind the scenes, he was actually just helping us develop it. And from from the very beginning, we said, you don't have to race this bike till you're happy with it. And like, we won't make it until you're happy. So it was keep pushing it and we gave him what we'd already worked on as i say it'd been kind of in the background a little bit already at that point and he looked at like yeah you're on the right track and this looked great this looks amazing and he was really excited by it and we were really excited that he was excited because it meant that you know, we were kind of heading in the right direction so and then from there we we got the first little prototypes and matt helps us on that we got the sort of bikes rolling and just testing the ideas and then matt got his and he raced his first prototype at the Utopia nations so that was pretty cool for us to to get a bike onto that level of racing, and yeah, Matt's been racing ever since, and he's he's been hugely valuable in that. Like he's been just so like his influence on it, yeah, his like his influence was invaluable to us. Like it just it was even to little things. Like it wasn't just the geometry and the big picture idea of what that bike was going to be. It was like little things like where we put the head tube guys for the cables, and Matt was like, "Oh, that's really great. I love that, but it's too high. It's going to interfere with a race plate." I'm like, oh, we hadn't thought of that. Like, we hadn't at this point. You put a race going, oh, now it doesn't fit. And it was those things where if you hadn't had a, a race to look at it, we might have missed it. And it's only then down the line you would have noticed these little things. So, yeah, Matt helped us on everything from, like you say, the bigger picture stuff to the real finer detail points. Curious to hear a little more on that and sort of about specifically kind of how close was the initial prototype that you gave to Matt to what the 161 production bike ended up being. Obviously, you've got little refinements that you talked about with things like the cable guides, and I'm sure you tweaked some stuff, but just interested in how close you were from the jump versus a fair bit of evolution once he was messing with things. Pretty close, like so, because we worked on on paper quite a lot first. I like just just like discussing geometry and discussing how big you wanted, what angles we wanted, and we. We were pretty close before. Like Matt's ridden a lot of bikes as well. Like we've between us in the office have ridden a lot of bikes. So between us, we were just putting kind of numbers on the paper and going, "We think this is about right." But obviously, until you ride it, it just, you know, it is just a bike on paper. So we got the first prototype and we tried a couple of different frame layouts as well. There was one prototype that doesn't look anything like the current bike, but it was more just a geometry mule to kind of get the idea of okay, this could work. And then we then took it to the platform that looks much similar to the bike now. Uh, the main change really was the seat tube. We had a like a one piece tube originally, but unfortunately it just meant you couldn't get the seat tube that seat post in low enough. So we had to change that to allow a bit more insertion because we had a just because of how low the seat tube 
is and the way the top tube goes into it. We want to keep it nice and low to give more movement over the frame. But because of that one piece kind of curve in the in the seat tube, it meant you just couldn't get it low enough. So we had to change that. So that was a that was a pretty big change. But in terms of geometry and the ride, it actually was pretty pretty minimal changes once we got to that point. Like Matt was pretty happy with where we had it and we just tweaked it a bit. Um, so it's really then just like shock tune type stuff and a few bits and pieces. But yeah, that was pretty close. Matt's tried it with a few different sort of setups, whether it's back ends or shocks or bits and pieces like that. And some ideas I can't tell you about, but he's been trying a few different things. And it's, yeah, but we were pretty close, first of all. But like it's a, it's a constant development, really. Like we've got an idea, we're pretty happy with it. But Matt's, Matt's always eager to try new things. Did I hear you just use the phrase geometry mule? And is that a common phrase in like the design world or is that a privateer thing because i love that i know it's something we've always we've always spoke about like it's often just just taking a bite that won't look sometimes it's not even the right suspension platform like we used at one point like it was literally a catalog frame and we just asked them to make it to a geometry roughly to how we wanted it just to test it purely from a geometry point of view so we weren't even worried about what the frame layout was it's just like we need a bike and it needs to kind of fit this geometry and they did it for us. And like, we've done it recently. We've just, we're doing it with some hard towels as well. Um, as a, as a future project that we're working on some ideas of geometry we've been working with. So hard towels have become our way of doing it, but it's just, I think that we can adjust the geometry with whether it's chain stays or bond bracket high or head angle. Like we just use that to, to test it really. So yeah, I, I don't know if it's a term that everybody uses, but it's something that, yeah, we've just been using it as a way of testing the idea is because, as I say, like what can appear quite crazy on paper when you ride it, you go, actually, that works. We'll, we'll stick with that. Yeah. David, have you heard the term before? Yeah, I've heard that once or twice before. Okay. It's not a totally novel okay. idea. Geometry mule. For some reason, I want to start calling you that, David. I don't know. I'm gonna. I gotta. I gotta. <laughs> I gotta work through this a little bit. Yeah, we need some geometry mules around blister. I think. Yeah, like they're really, really useful. It's something we're using more and more. We can get like it's becoming a bigger part of our development to just to try these ideas because as we spoke about before, like geometry, it's like it's infinite what you can do, but there's a kind of a fairly finite range to what works. So we just like trying out different different combinations of it. So whether like say whether you lengthen the back versus the front, or do you drop the bottom bracket low or high, or head angles, this, that, it's and you can tweak it all individually, which makes it quite nice. So it's uh, it's going to become a much bigger part of what we're doing to really kind of figure that out. Because I think geometry for us is a key part that really separates us. Like everyone can fight over lots of different bits, like the the, the frame layout and stuff like that. But geometry is the one thing that really you have like complete control over, and it's the combinations of it. I think you, it's going to become much closer, almost in the way of like I guess like motocross bikes, for example, like there fairly standardized now in a lot of ways but like they're still tweaking it here there in little ways so that's kind of how we're looking at what's the what is the combination that we think works best so it's just yeah trying out really like don't know to try this is one of the things when you a few minutes ago were just talking about the launch of privateer and i thought you really beautifully articulated this vision for the brand and the the notion of every single decision needs to be thought about in terms of does this match up with the overarching vision for the company and the products we're trying to produce and i found myself thinking like okay let's talk about some big old heritage brands that are effectively making bikes almost for every kind of rider in almost every kind of discipline right 
you could say something like, yeah, they don't maybe have that quote unquote luxury of being as specific as you can be right now, except, I mean, we talk to a lot of different product managers and brand managers, and sometimes I'm just like, yeah, it doesn't seem like you have a vision either for the company or for this new product you're rolling out. And I'm like, is like, is this just innovation for innovation's sake? Is this novelty for novelty's sake? And I'm curious to hear what you think of this. Like, so Privateer started with a particular vision. You've just explained how we want to get, you know, do more work with geometry mules to just see, to play, to discover. It's like maybe Privateer will be evolving from this original specific idea to, well, let's see where this play and the discoveries take us and where these things evolve. So this is all a very roundabout way maybe to getting to that question of what do you think of the kind of current level of specificity that in a way you have now and are able to have now versus how that meshes with this whole notion of, say, play and discovery and, you know, geometry mules. Um, I think you're right. Like being quite specific is both, you know, being small is a blessing and a curse in a, in a lot of ways. Like, you're right, like a big company often can't take the risks that we can because we can we can try out if it works. Like we probably haven't got the volume that they've ordered or, you know, they haven't got a whole shop network that they're going to disappoint or, you know, whatever it is, like they've got a lot of overheads that they have to consider where we're much smaller. We can, we can play around to, to that extent. But it, what we do when, when we say playing, like it's still very serious. Like we're testing it against, you know, when we're doing time testing or like rider testing or whatever it is, it's often involving like our athletes. So we've got, you know, we've got a good few athletes now that are helping us out. You can do some blind testing with them to go, did this feel better? Did it not? Like, what did you think? You, know, you can do some of that more subjective sort of reviewing of what you've changed. And then you can also do the, I've got a stopwatch. I know it was better or lower. That helps on the race bikes. It sounds like a 161. That's great because you can really, you can hone in what you're trying to achieve. And I think realistically, when we're doing this stuff, we're just trying to find the best combination to then offer it to the rider. If it's, we don't want to offer like subtle changes and kind of slow walk to these, I guess, these big changes. Like we want to figure out like, what is that change? Like how does it affect the ride? Like the steep teaching angle was obviously a fairly big aspect of, the 161 i like that was a, a big thing and a lot of people really got onto that and we think it's great but it's then how does that work with front center to rear center balance like how does that so if you have a steep seat tube obviously you then have a slightly shorter top tube like is there a balance like and it's just trying out quite radical ideas that we'll do it really is just to really prove concepts and to try I and mean, like i say it's really to try and avoid this like yearly oh we'll make it half a degree slacker we'll make it half a degree slacker it's actually trying to go what if we made it two degrees slacker? What if we made it 20 mils longer? What if we made it this? And it's, there is a line. And I think you know, it's trying to figure out where that line is and it's trying to find the balance for different trails. Like if we're going to make one bike that needs to work across a much wider range of trails, like an EWS circuit is quite varied in its terrain and what you're expected to do with that bike. So you could make a bike that will work very well on one type of travel and suffer somewhere else. But that's where like this, the real specifics can become a bit of a compromise sometimes because you do have to make it a very good bike for one place. So how can we adjust that? And that's where the idea of 
trying this stuff in different places to figure out really does it work everywhere or does it where are the compromises and how can we make sure that we're not just going to make a change that then actually the riders go actually we've made it worse now so it's yeah it's trying it and it's it's interesting to see what the time says against like what the riders say because there's often like a, a quick bike feels like a slow bike and sometimes you get a rider go no i feel much slower on that section and you realize it's just because the bike is just doing its thing and it's kind of getting on with it so i think yeah it's really just kind of proving concepts and trying to trying to like say really avoid that slow walk to things we want to make sure that if we're doing something we're doing it for the right reasons we've backed it up and yeah we're not just going to change it by degree here or there we want to make sure that we're pushing it forward all the time so privateer as a company that's interested in proving concepts you can have that one for free yeah i like that line that's good but that, and that is it like we want to make sure that we're doing things right and that will apply to any other bike we make we made the one for one so we'll start figuring out like how we can apply that to that bike or if we make another platform or you know, we could be e161 and it's not every concept will work for every bike so it's then tweaking that concept to make it work for a given rider so like that's always it goes back to that rider driven sort of design you go like what is the who is the rider for this and like what do they want out of it and then we can test these ideas to make sure that it's going to work for them we talked about this a little bit already, but as you mentioned before, you worked with Ali Beckett quite a bit on the actual design and engineering here. And I think if I have the timeline right, you said that he had been working with you just a little bit before Matt came on board. But I am curious, kind of, because obviously Ali has been involved in a lot of bike design work over the years at a bunch of different companies. And did you approach him with the idea that something along the lines of, hey, we want to build a bike to do X, Y, and Z. How would you go about that? Or was it more like, hey, we want to build a bike with these geometry numbers and this kind of stuff. How can you piece that together or somewhere in between? Where did that conversation start and how did that go about? Um, so it's, I guess it goes back a little way. Like Tom has known, I think Tom and Ali knew each other a little bit just through the industry and it kind of connected on some ideas and kind of been floating ideas back and forth so tom had this idea of what he wanted to achieve and i think back and forth was a bit like oh we think we could do this what do you think and ali had just started doing his own his own design consultancy and working with him was great because we kind of could sense check a few things like we kind of went and we're like okay this is what we want to achieve do you think it's doable and you know ali was it you know he's super excited to get involved get involved and help us out with that he's also i guess a little bit scared by some of the ideas that we put forward to him like they were quite quite out there so i think it's like oh you guys are probably a bit crazy but i think it's it was really good to have ali involved because like we had the idea of what we wanted in geometry but ali could then help us get the kinematics to suit that to get the frame now just to work and it's also then to work with the suppliers and the, you know, working with the right people to build that bike and to, how do we want to get that into some rideable shape and it, it was yeah he was massively helpful for that like we definitely wouldn't be able to get where we are without him and we continue to work with him today and yeah, we kind of went with this idea and Ali like say, kind of provided a sense check where you go like, are you sure you want this? Like, why is it you want to do this? And it was good to be able to give us a bit of a, not I would say resistance, but it just made us actually really think through like, right, why are we doing this? And is this the right move? And so, yeah, so he helped to kind of piece it together. He then just provided a lot of experience from the previous bikes of like how he would have approached a problem, how we can solve that problem. So he helped us because we didn't go the easy route on a few things. And so Ali helped us do it. And 
know, things like the chain stays are different. And I, again, was like trying to help us make sure we got that right and figuring all that kind of stuff out. So he, yeah, he just did a lot of back and forth and discussions and it really helped us kind of take some fairly loose ideas and kind of form it into something that was, that was right. And yeah, I, you know, it just gives a lot more confidence. Like if we said to her, like, do you think it's going to work? I mean, yeah, we can make that work. Then kind of put a lot of faith in ourselves to, to push it forward. So yeah, it's been great. Like it's just, yeah, basically making people that make wheels, make a bike. And without him, we, yeah, I don't know where we'd be right now. So one thing that you just touched on a little bit there that I want to get into more is that with both the 161 and then later the 141, you guys were pretty early on the trends of A, varying the wheel size based on frame size with both of them. They're offered in four sizes of bike. The smallest one uses a 27.5 wheel at both ends, and then the three bigger sizes are all 29ers. And then along with that, you were also early in varying the chainstay length based on size. And I frankly think both of those are ideas that make a ton of sense, but I'm curious to hear you talk a little bit more about how those came about and why you decided to go down that path again before very many companies were doing either. It's a, it was an area of quite heated debate, if I'm quite honest, between everyone in the office and with some riders and different, so we were asked, we've always been quite open with working with whether it's other riders or some journalists that we have sort of made connections with over the years and kind of like just trying to draw out a bit of some information about maybe what they were thinking as well. But it's to this day remains a really quite a heated debate when we discuss like wheel sizes and like proportional geometry. And it's, to be honest, for us, it just kind of made sense. It was just that idea of if you're five foot six, so your bike shouldn't ride the same as if you're, you know, it should ride the same, sorry, as if you're six foot five. Like, so how do you make that work well? Like, and wheel size was probably one of the tougher ones. Like, chain stays for us made sense. That was a relatively straightforward process. Like, yep, that makes sense. We're going to do that. We probably didn't do it the easiest way because we do have four different back end sizes, which makes production and assembly a whole load more fun than it would be if it was just one frame. But again, it goes back to that what's right for the customer. Like, yeah, we could have saved ourselves some time and effort by making one size, but we knew it was the right choice. So we quite firmly stood by that. So, you know, some people just, you know, some suppliers didn't want to do it. So that kind of, it did make life harder. But in terms of wheel size, it was another debate that it, it went back and forth for a long time. Like we wanted, we knew 29er was faster for, you know, from a racer point of view. You're like, well, we want to make sure if we're making a race bike, it should be the fastest bike. But if you are fitting a smaller bike, like how, how can you fit that same size wheel in a smaller frame? And it becomes not only from a technical point of view, much tougher, but also like from a riding point of view, pretty tough. So you've got to manage a huge back wheel and it's yeah, trying to squeeze 161 mils of travel out of 29 inch back wheel into say like a 28 inch inseam. That's, there's not a huge amount of space there. So it's, it's, and I say, it still remains debatable. So people in the office are like, dead set 29 so we're like 27 and it's certainly we've continued to to investigate and we're doing some more time testing so chloe taylor is a rider that she's also racing in ews and she has been running a sort of a mullet setup which again has kind of opened another door for us it's like oh is mixed wheel size the better option so it's we we know we need to do proportional wheel sizes we're just trying to figure out how we do it like 27.5 at the moment was the right we feel was the right choice we're still happy with that but the way that mullet at the time wasn't fully accepted and we kind of were 
we were unsure of when we first did that whether mullet would be the right option we want to mix it up just because we were trying to figure out whether it made an unbalanced bike or not um we've done a lot of testing with that so we're going to kind of keep exploring that but yeah chloe was a prime example like matt's six foot and chloe is five five they both need to ride a bike this fast and they need to fit differently and do different things so it's yeah it was really just like doing the right thing not the easy thing which is why we had different chain stays and different wheel sizes yeah i like that and then on the topic of wheel size and height too i i think that particularly for relatively short people when you're doing bikes with longer travel forks as well um you're trying to stuff a 29 inch front wheel and a I don't know, say 170 millimeter travel 29 or fork in the front and then still get the handlebar height kind of into reasonable or the stack height on the frame. I mean, I'm six feet tall and there are kind of large 29er frames in the long travel end of things where I sometimes struggle to get the bars where I want to a little bit and I'm having to run stem slammed in a super low rise bar to wind up where I want to. Depends a bit on the bike, obviously, but I just find it very easy to imagine that if I was a, a good chunk shorter than I am, that there would be a whole lot of long travel 29ers that I just really had a hard time fitting right on. And that makes a lot of sense to me that at some point you just need to sort of accept that for certain height people and for certain classes of bike, it's really hard to package that into a 29er. Yeah. And it's, it's remained somewhat, I mean, almost had a controversial. Some people are dead set and like, oh, you should have made the B1 a 29 or like I want a 29. And you know, don't feel there's like a right or wrong answer for those people like some people will just prefer 29 regardless of how tall they are but for us like I say it was about trying to make the ride feel the same for all those riders and something that we were like acutely aware of when we're making these bikes is like we can only test the bike that fits us like i can only ride a p2 that's the size that fits me so i would know if a p2 fits right however I can't tell you if a P4 is right because like I'm not six foot two, six foot three. Like, I'm not going to be able to test that. So it's, we were trying to figure that out. And it's something that's opening and it's quite a, it's almost like a rabbit hole. You start going down this idea of proportionality and it's, it's pretty crazy. We've uh, got a new engineer who started just a uh, late part of last year. And we've been exploring that as a, as a team of like proportionality. He's come up with some hugely interesting numbers, which is kind of leading into our future development stuff. And it, it, it's interesting how, the focus on like reach, for example, is great, but it doesn't take into account wheelbase and stuff like that. So yes, your wheelbase is getting longer, but it's only getting longer in one direction, not both directions. So we were running, what we were trying to figure out was almost, is there like a perfect ratio that you could go, okay, well, like this is the ratio that fits me. So if I make this whole thing bigger by this much, you'll have the perfect bike for the, the person's this size or, you know, if they're, however much taller the bike will get x amount bigger so it's it's interesting I, I don't think we're i don't think we've been really touched like i think we've barely scraped the surface of that so i think there's a lot more to do on that in terms of proportional and building bikes that's going to fit riders equally well across the range so i think it's still something that's going to become quite a lot more more important as the as geometry gets i guess more understood in that, in that regard like people understand like what a head angle does or a reach does but in terms of like how taking a more holistic look at geometry like the whole bike needs to change together to get the bike to ride how it does so yeah i think it's gonna be quite an interesting future ahead if we continue down into this path yeah there were two things there that i really liked that you just said first one being the point that it's kind of a hard thing to figure out because any given person realistically has sort of one size bike that's going to be the most appropriate one for them and 
it's hard to test varying chainstay length say, or wheel size or whatever it may be by frame size, because it's not like you can give me three different sizes a bike and go say, you know, go figure out how the balance feels, right? Just because two of those are going to feel wrong for reasons that have nothing to do with the change tail length. They're just going to fit poorly. And I'm going to be, you can't have one person give you that feedback very well. And then you get into, you have, now you have a bunch of people testing the same thing, but they're not comparing the same bike and it's a tough thing to figure out. So I think that's probably why the industry hasn't gone down this road as much before. And then also, obviously there's the manufacturing challenges that it imposes too, that you touched on as well. Yeah. Like in an ideal world, you'd get rider testing, you'd have you know, 20 different bike sizes and 20 different rider sizes. Yep. Yeah, there you go. We made a perfect bike for all of you, but you have to kind of condense it down to a commercially viable number of frame sizes. You have to kind of pick a, have to pick a range effectively like there is a there is a limit to what we can achieve like you'd love to do a ride the size for everybody but you kind of have to pick a range we've been looking at all sorts of data available for like height sizes and like range of people and like ratios of people as well like leg length to height length it's it's yeah it's insane how far you can go down that but it i think you could say we're still quite early days of understanding how rider height and geometry is going to work well together so i think it's yeah, and you're right. Like we've done some testing. Like you will get one rider riding a bike they know fits and try three or four different back end lengths. Like Matt's been doing that quite a lot for us. We've been doing the office, like just plugging in different bits and kind of figuring it out. But as you said, like I can test that. Yeah, I really like it with X chainstay length, and then someone else will ride it on their bike. But yeah, you're not comparing an equivalent bike because now that ratio is wrong. They might have you know an extra twenty mils of reach up front, so that ratio is now completely different because they've got a shorter chainstay to their reach, and it's yeah, it's something that Dan, our engineer, has been investigating thoroughly. Like it's, uh, it's really interesting. I think it's it's a really cool topic to kind of explore. Like we're excited to keep going down it. It's it gets really quite nerdy after a while, and I feel like we have a lot of spreadsheets and like graphs and stuff. So it's it's yeah, it's but it's, it's fun. Like it's it's exciting to kind of explore how we can to see that in the future. Really, I think like say it's something that we're still kind of trying to understand. I think it's, there's still a huge depth of information to kind of wrap our heads around. Yeah. And I think the ratio or the notion rather of ratio of front end length to rear end length makes a huge amount of sense to me. I've used the analogy on Blister before that you don't have ski manufacturers varying their lengths by just increasing the front half of the ski in front of the binding. And that is kind of what a lot of bike companies are doing if they're not varying chainstay length across the size range. And it just, again, it's hard to have one person test it, but it does make sense to me that that is a kind of key thing of making bikes feel consistent across the range of sizes. And so I'm just glad to see more companies doing that. And Privateer, in no small part, led the charge there. That was a very confident, not quite smug. I will just use the word confident nod that we just got out of Sam there. I forget we got video. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I don't think we were the first. I think, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll take the, the fact that we were first, but I don't think we were. Like, I think there's been a a bunch of other brands that have been investigating or even some smaller people who have been doing it on like a more low-key level who have been like exploring the ideas of it and i think you know it, i think that's what's great about the bike industry is like there's a lot of people out there with some really cool ideas that we can all kind of learn from and, and also just from like outside the industry like the, the ski one was a perfect example they're like like if they've understood it like why have we not applied a similar thing to this so i think yeah like why well, no, yeah we did we did have a think of this like yeah by far we're not the first and i don't think we'll be the last to do it i think it's just it's understanding how we can apply it to and keep it commercial as well, which I think is 
it's easier to go, we should do this. But actually, then you realize it's actually really complex or there's like far more moving parts to make it work. So that's that question that comes back to us that we can do it because we are a bit smaller and we kind of will take that on and go, right, well, we're going to kind of do it the hard way because we think it's the right way of doing it. And bigger brands maybe perhaps can't do it. So, yeah, I don't know. There's reasons of why it's not happening, but I'd like to see more people do it. I think it's a good way of making bikes quicker and more comfortable for everybody, really. Yeah, Sam, this is, you know, one of the things that we really kind of enjoy doing at Blister, right? Because we we review skis and we review trail running shoes and we review mountain bikes, right? So we find ourselves kind of naturally just thinking through like how analogous certain performance goals might be when it comes to say, like we talk a lot about the suspension of a ski. And I kind of think we were maybe the first folks to really do that. And it's because a lot of our skiers are passionate mountain bikers, right? And and like when we're talking about is a ski good or not, really for me increasingly is like first things first is the suspension good or bad of that ski that's increasingly what i want to know first and i'm guess i'm curious if you personally or just a bit more broadly among the folks at privateer do you all have a favorite non mountain bike category sport where you find yourself paying the most attention to trying to maybe find some new ideas so we've we mentioned skiing and passing but is it like yeah it's definitely motorcycles or you know i don't know cricket of which i know nothing about no i think it's i think there is a lot of like avenues we can explore in other industries again so motorcycles are an obvious one because they share very similar silhouette you go okay like what have they done with two wheels and some suspension and it's kind of you can do a lot of that and a lot of the suspension ideas can also be borrowed from that as well and you can see maybe a more mature sort of industry going like okay like they've tried all of these wacky ideas and they've all kind of settled now and now you're kind of figuring out like the differences between it like they've tried different wheels they've tried different suspension setups they've tried all of that and eventually they've kind of all found their own way but they're all quite similar and even yeah and skis as well like it's the like, certain things just work everywhere like you said like longer things are faster but they're harder to turn you look at skis and snowboards how they become more specific to their sort of their genre of what they're trying to achieve and it's the same i think for a lot of things where you can start understanding how that idea works you know okay like longer is better quick but it doesn't turn as well but how have they made it turn better like is there certain things you can do to help make something yeah, that is so long that turns as well and yeah i think it's it's a hard one to put into like fine points but i think it's just like it's about learning just being open to just understanding what other industries are doing and understanding how like say a mobile does it or skis i don't think we've ever gone like this is the one thing that we follow but we definitely have a few points where we look and go okay like this is clear that this idea is a good idea and it works and like i said i think moat bikes and moat cross bikes especially tend to be ones that are probably easier to compare to, like I say, just because I think it's a bit more of a mature industry. And like I say, they have settled. So we can kind of understand that like maybe bikes are going to follow that trend. We're going to try a bunch of different wheel sizes, which we all know where we, we have tried different wheel sizes. And we continue to try different wheel sizes, but we also try different suspension layouts. And we tried, and, you know, but eventually frames are becoming somewhat more similar and like geometry is becoming increasingly more similar, but it's 
it's not a bad thing necessarily, but it becomes how like you make it your own and how do you find the, the detail point to really eke the performance out of that. And I think it's like say you do look at a motocross bike and it would all look the same, but there's these points that are quite specific. Like those engineers have spent hours or years working out that a degree here or a point of a degree there or like a certain percentage on their suspension charts is like their magic combination to make that what it is. And I think you will learn that from bikes that it's just going to become subtle tweaks and kind of that subtle blend of everything. And that's how the bikes are going to be. They're going to have their own character in that sense. So I think, yeah, I don't think there's any one key area, but I think motocross bikes and motorbikes in general are quite one that we do often kind of compare ourselves to, but it, we do stay aware of, like I say, skis and snowballs and other just general, just, yeah, just, I understand the ideas. I'm just kind of seeing how it goes from there, really. So after doing the 161, you guys added a second model to the full pedal-powered lineup, uh, the 141, which, as the name would get suggest, is just a little bit shorter travel version. And it definitely shares quite a bit with the 161 in terms of suspension platform and the silhouettes really similar and the geometry numbers actually aren't super wildly different either tweaked a bit for sure but not dramatically so and just be curious to hear a bit more about what the vision for that bike was and what you kind of learned from the 161 that you applied there and figuring all of that out yeah so i guess with the 161 we had you had like Matt Stuttard and Chloe Taylor like on that org and like that's who we're building the 161 for like they are racers like that's what they want to do with, it. with the one for one it was a bit more I don't want to say like toned down or scaled back but it was more like you're looking at you're more like local racers like your national riders the people that need a bike that would do a bit for everything they're probably you know the one for one works great for a lot of what the 161 does but actually it just gives it a bit more usability so we were looking at the riders that We'll do a few like a few local events. They're going to do like more like regional enduro races. They might do the odd trip to a bike park here or there. But they also need a bike that's going to work on their more local trails. And like especially for us in the UK, like not everybody has access to like huge elevation. They need a bike that will be able to go across more traversy, a little bit flatter maybe in places, but still have some pretty steep technical bits in the trail as well. So they want that bike. They want the geometry to be really good when they're. really going fast downhill and still having that steep seating position for when they do have to winch back up again but it's just a bit more all-rounded so it's not huge differences but it's like as i said before like it's like a combination of subtle differences add up to make one point just a little bit more usable across a wider platform so like where the one six one is very specific the one four one kind of just geeks out that the usability a bit wider so the bottom bracket says a little bit higher by comparison the reach is a little bit a little bit shorter. The seat tube angle is a little bit slacker. So the top tube length actually ends up being a little bit longer. And again, gives you that more sort of more space for climbing when you're traversing or you're going on those like small up, down, all over the place with the trails. And it's, yeah, it's just, it's amazing how those little differences can add up to make a bike that has just a little bit more energy, a little bit more life on those sort of flatter trails. And yeah, really that's the difference between it. We wanted a bike that could do most of what the 161 can do, but just just use it a bit more day to day so that's kind of really where the one for one came from and it's, it does share a lot because we kind of we knew that the one six one platform worked well so we just wanted to tweak it and make it into something that would suit a wider range of people but it's still a very focused bike in the sense like it's still built for the people that want the long drop they still want that progressive geometry they're still going to want to push it hard they're still going to you know may enter a race or two so it's still not like a i guess not it's not a very bland trail bike as such it's still quite an aggressive 
or mountain bike, if you will, if that's still a category. We kind of wrote a little bit about some of that in our first look of the 141 when it came out, and it does just seem like a bike that shares a lot of its DNA with the 161, but then had some really sensible decisions made to make it just a bit more versatile and not quite the sort of winch and plummet style thing that the 161 is meant to be. And, you know, that that totally makes sense for what the 161 is meant to do. But then having a more versatile version also seems like a very sensible move. Thanks. Yeah, we were almost a little bit worried that the 141 was going to eat into the 161's cool. Like the market, always like we're going to like, oh, people are still going to buy the 161. But like, it's still like people that want an enduro bike are still going to buy the 161 and the 141 is still going to serve different people. So I think that's like how we look at it. Like there's still two different riders that would buy those bikes. And we're still seeing, we are still seeing crossover. Like someone like Matt Simmons is using both 141 and a 161, depending on where he's choosing to ride that day. Like if he's just looking to, as you say, winch and plumber, like just pedal up a big steep fire and then just go as fast as he can, treat it like a downhill bike, he's going to choose his 161. But if he's going to go for a more trail round sort of trail like center or just go for a pedal, like face one for one. And depending on how you build the one point, it can kind of can vary a little bit. We've seen all sorts of things where people have pulled or coiled or whatever. So it still keeps that versatility, but almost as good descending as the one six one. So it's it's intriguing to see. We're we're gonna start trying to try some ideas of doing some time testing between them because I think you and in the office are intrigued to see on what terrain the two bikes are best. And there's even some scenarios where we think that actually one for one would work on an EWS circuit. Some of the circuits are a bit twistier, they are a bit tighter, they're a bit more pedally. So we're actually going to start trying to test that theory of like where the two bikes work well. So keep an eye out. We've talked quite a bit about what you guys have out right now, but we'd be curious to hear what's next for Privateer. Where do you see things going from here? What's on the horizon? If there's anything you can talk about? Yes, we've uh, got a few, we've always got a few irons in the fire and we've got U161 has been our main focus at the moment. So that's been sort of out there a little bit. We kind of teased it a few times. We sort of lined it up with the Shimano EPA launch. We weren't ready to like open it up for public yet, but it was just like we wanted to like Shimano approached us with that opportunity. We really wanted to make sure we had something a bit like a concept car in some sense. Like we had a concept bike ready for the EPA launch. And it that was a bike quite close to Matt Stuttart's heart because like ever since he joined, he was like, oh when are you going to do an e-bike? Like when are you going to do an e-bike? It's like all right like Here's a second. Let's, let's get the one six one out like done, and then we'll look at like doing an E one six one. Because I often joke with Ali. I was like, yeah, Ali, just like just bolt a motor to it, and we'll make an E one. We'll make an E one six one, and you know, he just gives you that kind of like, oh, what do you? Do? It's not as easy as that. Like any origin is like, no, just. So it's uh, yeah, that took a lot of time, but it was so it was really cool for us to 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 see Shimano's interest in us to do the EPA. Like we were quite honoured to be involved with that early on to get access to that and. Yeah, really, we wanted to make it as capable as the 161. And it's still going to be that bike that you can winch and plummet, but you can just winch a hell of a lot faster and do more descending, really. It was the idea of just, you can just pedal more up a hill, you can get there quicker, you're less tired, and you'll be able to get more runs out, especially when it's winter. So Matt wanted it and uses an e-bike at the moment as a bit of an off-season training tool, just because the days are relatively short in the winter. So like, if you can do more runs in a day because you've got an e-bike, then... Like it's a win for Matt. And yeah, we've been working hard on that. So that's still in works. We're still doing a lot of test, like some testing on that. We've been playing around with some ideas on it. And yeah, we should be having that 
hopefully a bit more on that sort of towards the later part of the year. So we'll probably announce a bit more later in the summer and then into sort of autumn time. And then we've got a few other ideas as well, which you can keep following the number trend. It doesn't doesn't make a too far of a guess to figure out what the next bike would be in the lineup. So uh, but that's yeah, we're figuring out how we can kind of and again it's always looking at who the rider would be for that bike because it's we don't want to be that brand that just has 20 different models to cover everything. It's like, okay, like we want bikes to suit certain riders. Like, is there a rider that is like wanting this type of bike and how can we make that bike for them? So I can't foresee us ever being a brand that has just endless model numbers. We're definitely expanding. We've got lots of ideas. The, the number of bike list, the number of bikes on our whiteboard list is getting longer and longer as the days go by, but it's still always quite focused and like, who is the customer? Like, who is that rider that wants that bike? Like, who are we going to serve if we make that bike? So it's it's cool. I can't say too much about it, but there's definitely going to be some broadening of the the options, if you like, for those type of riders. So hopefully we can get more riders on privateers and more people enjoying our ideas, hopefully, yeah, trying out some different geometry. And really, then it's going to be taking some time to play, as we put it before, as playing with some geometry ideas and kind of seeing where that goes as we move into later generations of bikes as as and when we get there kind of really making sure that if we do as and when we get to the next bike it will be a good step change and it's going to be a good good bike so yeah we've e one one just taking up most of our time at the moment but we've got a few ideas on the back burner that we're, we're plugging away through well sam this might be kind of an unfair follow-up question then but we do often like to ask guests on this show what their big idea is now We've talked about a number of ideas, you know, specifically related to bikes and bike design. This question, though, you are allowed to go anywhere, anywhere in the world that your brain might take you. And we also like to say this could be a real dumb idea, too. So there's no judgment here, right? But we're kind of curious about that thing that you're either you wake up in the middle of the night and you just are kind of still thinking about that or you're off on a bike ride and pedaling and you find yourself gravitating back to like, I wonder why nobody's ever done X or why doesn't this exist? You have, does anything ring a bell along these lines? Yeah, there's the obvious ones, you know, like new axle standards, new wheel sizes, you know, that's always an easy one. We just make some new wheel sizes, new axle standards, no. <laughs> And cool that, like, I guess I, I don't know, the snow bike stuff's always pretty cool. It always intrigues me when you see the snow bikes. I'm like, how I don't understand how it works. Like, I can ski and I can bike, but I don't understand how the two work together. So I'm like kind of intrigued to see how that would work and to see what we could do. Like, does proportional like progressive geometry work for a snow bike? You took a little time getting there, but man, you've landed. I really like where you landed. A more progressive snow bike. Yeah, I wonder, like in theory, it works on bikes. So you know, does it just mean you can go down steeper, faster snow trails? Like, we'll see. That's the next oh big goodness. idea for Private We'll find out. So, so we'll have the uh, S161 coming next then? Is that yep. the, yep. the yeah. follow-up? Yeah, we'll, we'll let you know once that's available to, uh, to test ride. So we'll get that out. That's amazing. Well done. David, have you ever ridden a snow bike? I haven't, no. I haven't either. Have you, Sam? No, I'm just, I'm really intrigued. Like, I, like, I just... I've never, like I said, I can, I can do both separately, but the idea of putting the two together just scares me. Like, I just, I can understand Absolutely. how you... For could, good yeah. reason. Yeah. yeah. I don't Agreed. get it. Same. But maybe, like I say, maybe this is a whole new thing that we just haven't tapped into yet. Wow. What? I feel like we just really brought this whole conversation around. You really just put the bow on it, Sam. So 
we need to let you go so that you can go tell the team how you're opening up this whole new branch of privateer and getting you guys into the progressive geometry snow bike market. This is exciting. This is exciting news. Big, big that we're yeah, this, this is the start of some historic, you know, this is gonna be, we're going to look back on this moment in a few years time. Going, oh, wow, why did no one do this before? Like, geez, we're, yeah. So, you know, <laughs> keep on our hats for now. We'll get it figured out. We'll, we'll test it, do some testing. Perfect. Hey, Sam, this was super fun. Thanks for taking the time. And it, it's fun to learn more about kind of the, the origins of Privateer and, you know, the whole trajectory and what you guys are thinking about these days. David has kind of, you know, talked about some of the things where you guys were helping lead the charge in some changes that we're seeing adopted more broadly in the industry. That kind of thing is always, you know, worth applauding and, and handing out some kudos. So, uh, well done and keep trying to prove those concepts. Thank you. Yeah. Just keep trying it. It's going to be cool fun. So yeah, I'm excited for what we can do in the future, especially with snow bike. But sounds good. We are too. On that note, Sam, we'll let you get going. Take care and thanks again. Yeah, I could talk to you, Sam. Cool. Thanks a lot. Thanks for the time. Well, that's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. Thanks to Sam and David for the conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. From all of us here in the Gunnison Valley of Crested Butte, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again tomorrow over on our Gear 30 podcast feed, where we're going to be telling you a whole lot more about the origin story of our new Blister Summit event that happens right here in Mount Crested Butte in just two weeks. So we'll catch you tomorrow over on our Gear 30 channel. All right, everybody, take care. Talk to you then.